0: So a couple of weeks ago, I received one of those phone calls that everybody dreads to get. Uh, it was just before lunch. I was in my bedroom uh, stretching after having gone for a run. And I picked up the phone and it was my wife, Becky, letting me know that she was rushing to pick up uh, one of our kids, our 12 year old son, Simon, and rush him to the hospital. Now, if you've ever got one of these phone calls, you know that there's just a limited amount of information that you can receive uh, at that time. Uh, I had learned that about 15 minutes before the golf camp that he was attending had ended, uh, he had gone down on the driving range to put his ball down on the tee. And uh, the kid beside him, a younger kid, and I don't know if he was reckless or wasn't paying attention or Simon wasn't paying attention. But... He was in full swing and tattooed Simon right in the face with a golf club. And so Simon was being rushed to the hospital. I mean, who knew that golf was such a contact sport? In those moments, though, and in that limited information, you know, I wouldn't have known that uh, Simon was going to be at the hospital for some seven hours that Friday afternoon. Uh, I didn't know that he was going to need five stitches on the outside of his mouth and multiple more dissolvable stitches on the inside of his mouth. I didn't know that he lost two adult teeth and one of them the oral surgeon in the emerge as well as his family dentist uh, afterward uh, have tried to salvage. Uh, I didn't know anything. I didn't know if he was concussed. I didn't know if he had a broken jaw. All, All I knew was that he'd been hit in the face full steam with a with a golf club and he was being rushed to the hospital. And if you've been in one of those moments before, you know what that feeling is like, don't you? That feeling of being powerless. It's actually a combination, I would say, of two feelings. The, the feeling of total lack of control. There's nothing you could have done to, to prevent something like that. And then the feel the feeling of total lack of capacity. There's, there's no resources within you that can fix or, or kind of contribute to the situation. You had no control over it. You have no capacity to influence. And so you're just left to get kind of phone and text updates because you're sitting there having just taken that phone call completely powerless. I know that Some of you know what that feels like because some of us feel powerless these days. Some of us feel powerless when it comes to determining our future. Some of us feel powerless at work or you know whether business or company when it comes to market forces. Some of us feel powerless in uh, relationships that we find ourselves stuck in that just don't seem to change. Some of us feel powerless in our addiction or habits that we just can't break. And a lot of us, whether we come from a faith-based perspective or not, a lot of us will consider in those moments turning to God, believing that if there's anyone who can help us, it's the all-powerful, all-resourced creator and sustainer of the universe, God himself. But we look around and we see some people of faith experiencing and exuding this ongoing enjoyment of the power of God in their lives and others that are struggling to ever find it. And it kind of makes us wonder, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but I I think about this sometimes. It makes us wonder, what's the difference between those two kinds of approaches? What's the difference between those two experiences of faith? Well, if you're new here and are joining us, this is the final week, the fifth week uh, in a series we've done through the month of August and now into September uh, called Fruitful. Uh, trying to figure out how we can experience lives where God is free to bear his fruit through us. Basically asking what it takes to experience the real difference that God wants to make in real people like you and me. And uh, to anchor our conversation today, if you brought a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8, uh, or if you have it uh, on, a, on a Bible app or portable device. Uh, we're going to throw it up on the screen, though, in verse 28, because I want to anchor our whole conversation in this one verse written uh, by the Apostle Paul. Paul to a first century church in Rome, Romans 8, 28. And because it's going to be so fundamental to our discussion today, I, would, I want us all across all of our locations to read this out loud together. Okay? So we're going to read this out loud together. Are you all ready? Here it is. Romans 8, 28. Here we go. Let's read this together. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called According to his purpose. Okay, very good. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And I want us to just kind of camp out on this for a minute and walk through some of the key phrases so that we understand all of what Paul is trying to say here. Starts out by saying, we know, implying that this is common knowledge to the people that he's writing to, that it's, it's sort of an assumed truth in a life of faith. He says, we know that in all things, meaning that this applies in each and every situation. And he talks about God working. So he's referring to this accessing of God's supernatural power. He says, God works for the good. God unleashes his power power, um, for the betterment of things or of people for favorable results. He says that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called, basically people who've exercised faith in him through Jesus Christ. And if you put all that together, it kind of makes you feel like we should know that in any and every situation, the God of the universe wants to pour his power out for favorable results to anyone who puts their trust in him. That's kind of what the verse implies. Until you take it to the very end. And you see this very last caveat that in a lot of ways is the whole punch of this little passage, the whole punch of this verse, which is really the condition on which all of the rest of this is true. Where Paul says all of this awesome stuff happens according to God's purpose. According to his purpose understanding that the god of the universe you know since creating the universe and since you know developing creating humanity and since fallenness and brokenness entered into the world god has been you know purposeful throughout human history in trying to repair that back to his original ideal what in church circles we call redeeming or restoring the planet and the people of it Paul is acknowledging that God has a purpose and he acknowledges that we can all know that in all things God unleashes his power for favorable results to people of faith according to that purpose that he's been working on since the beginning of time. And that's the big idea this morning. That's the differentiation between a a, a faith that essentially feels powerless And a faith that is powerful, appreciating that God unleashes his power according to his purpose, that God doles out his resources for his reasons. And if you want to access the power of God, you've got to focus on the purpose of God. That's an important distinction because I think some of us, even some of us who've approach life from a a perspective of faith, we will approach God for the receipt of his power, um, but for our own purposes. In fact, I think about a a friend of mine years ago who started on a faith journey, hadn't come from a church background, and eventually started to give it a try, uh, actually got baptized to kind of represent that intent. But shortly after, when his business crumbled and he filed bankruptcy, and then later after that, when uh, he and his wife separated and ultimately divorced because they had kind of had a chronic, sort of loveless, conflict-filled relationship, um, he eventually packed it in. And when I talked to him some months later and asked him what was going on, he said, well, he said, you know, I figure I gave God a chance and he didn't work for me. I gave God a chance and he didn't work for me. And I don't know if you've ever felt that, or if you've ever actually articulated that, but if you, if you say that out loud enough times, God didn't work for me, you realize that in saying that, you're kind of betraying the process because in saying God didn't work for me, you're implying that he's supposed to work for you. As if you're the boss, as if you position yourself to be God, and God is like your hired gun. God is your underling who's supposed to work for you. And the relationship between you and God is higher up where God is to be subservient to your wishes and your desires and your agenda. That's not what Romans 8 28 teaches. That's not what the Bible teaches about accessing the power of God. In fact, if you look at another translation of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, it says it a little bit more clearly. In the Living Bible, it's worded this way We know that all that happens to us is working for our good. If we love God and are fitting into his plans. I underline this myself. If we love God and are fitting into his plans. Understanding that the obligation of alignment isn't God's to align with us. that That's, that's not how this works. The obligation is for us to align with God. For us to be sensitive to the fact that all around the world through all time God has been redeeming and restoring this fallen and broken world and the people in it unto himself he's been trying to make the world function as he originally intended intended it to be the way that he always dreamed it would particularly through sending Jesus to earth to die and rise again so that that would be possible the Bible calls that process the building of God's Kingdom the building of our world and society the way he always dreamed that's his purpose and as you and I are considerate of that purpose as you and I align with that purpose and are sensitive to wanting to advance that purpose with God we become agents who can access God's power as opposed to assuming that we're God and God works for us according to whatever our purpose is and whatever our wishes for his power might be God's power is unleashed according to God's purposes. He resources things for his reasons. Now in saying that I want to just kind of be clear that what I'm not saying is that we can't express things that we want to God. You know, when when Simon got hit in the face with a golf club, I I was feeling certain things. And immediately when I hung up the phone, I was expressing those things to God. That's not trying to be God. That's articulating feelings and, you know, heartfelt desires to your spiritual heavenly parent. That's, That's relating to God. As God and, and you know a number of times in the scriptures Jesus is quoted as as encouraging people to pray persistently promising that God as the perfect heavenly parent wants to give his children good gifts. You know wants to meet our needs and in often cases sometimes even our wants later on in the New Testament book of James James writes that sometimes we don't get what we want because we haven't even bothered to ask God for it that there's it's not out of bounds to, to ask God for things. When it gets out of bounds is when the things that you want matter more to you than wanting the things that God wants. That's when things shift from you following God and God having authority that you're surrendered to and aligned under versus you being God and God being your kind of vending machine and you know, having an expectation where he would work for you. I think there's probably no better example than this, not surprisingly. But in the person of Jesus, who shortly before he gave his life up for the sin of you and me, he spent some time praying to God in preparation. And I don't know if we could ever enter into the headspace of what that must have been like, knowing that your death is imminent and, you know, probably just fearing for all of the anguish and, and, and hardship that that was going to involve. But uh, in Matthew 26, it says that his prayer kind of summarized this way. He says, my father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Think about that. Father, let this cup of suffering be taken from me. He said, basically, to God, God, like, I don't want to have to die. And I certainly don't want to have to suffer in the way that I'm going to in this imminent death. Can, can you do something to, to take that away from me? That's what Jesus wanted. That's what any of us would have wanted. It was entirely human. And yet what he wanted more was the will of God to be done more than the wants of his own. And so he shared his feelings with his loving heavenly father and surrendered himself to the objectives and purpose of God. And ultimately that is how God was able to unleash his spiritual victory conquering resurrection power through Christ that you and I can have access to today. Because he was willing not just to share his feelings, but he was willing to be subservient to the will and purposes of God. He chose God's purposes and got to, in the most perfect, full sense, experience God's power. And that's how it works with you and I. So long as we're willing to subject ourselves and to be more interested in the purposes of God advancing than our own, we can come to God and plead with him and pour out our hearts to him. It's when we assume that God works for us, when we assume that our wants and wishes matter more than God's timeless purposes in the world, that we start to treat God like a vending machine and we miss out on the experience of his power because God's power gets unleashed For God's purposes. That's why we describe a life of faith. More like you know a sailboat. Than a motorboat you know rather than kind of. Kind of churning through life on your own. It's all about trying to figure out. Where God is moving and trying to orient our lives around that. In a direction where we can access his power. It's more like surfing than swimming. Rather than gutting it out on our own resources, realizing that we're just going to ride the waves of God's resources, but we've got to figure out how to catch them because they only work at certain times in certain ways and move in certain directions. They don't just go in any way that we want, whenever we would prefer. You know, faith is to author Henry Blackaby, the kind of thing that demands that we stop asking God to be into and to bless what we're doing and instead pay more attention to the kinds of things that God is into and the kind of things that God blesses and be more into them. That's how you experience a life of powerful faith, by orienting yourself to what God is into instead of expecting God to be into what you're into. I want to call a bit of a timeout because I, I don't in describing how that powerful faith works. I, I don't want to appear insensitive or give you the in, in, give you the sense that God is insensitive to the areas of your life where you most desperately need his power. You know, when I hung up the phone hearing that Simon was getting rushed to the hospital, I didn't take a step back right away. And my first response wasn't to say, well, God, thanks for this interesting turn of events today. Uh, I'm so excited to see you, what you and your sovereignty have in store for our family today. And I, I'm really grateful that this is so exciting today and, you know, abnormal from our regular summer routine. That, that, wasn't, my, that wasn't my default setting. My default setting was one of fear. One of anxiety, one of desperation, one of brokenness for my child, and you know, just hoping and, and worrying about his future. And I poured that heart out, out to God. That that's not that's not sinning. That's that's not unnatural. That's just that's just being human. You're not defying, you know, obedience to God by having these kinds of wants. It's you're not defying being obedient to God by worrying about things that that's just being a, a human being a normal person but as Jesus teaches about how to live a life of faith in him. And as he articulates his sensitivity to all the things in our lives that we could be anxious about. At the end of the day, in his most famous sermon he ever preached, he said to try your best not to worry about those things. And instead, in Matthew six thirty-three, he says this, more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. In that Sermon on the Mount, we've studied it here before. He says, don't worry about all the things of tomorrow. I know that they stress you out. I know that they cause you anxiety. But try not to worry about them. Instead, he says, seek first in your life the kingdom and purposes of God advancing in the world. And when you do, God will take care of the rest. God will take care of your future if you take care of the purposes of God. I can't tell you how many times in my own life I've been given... Kind of up close and personal you know front row seats to watch that happen and i 've been thinking about that even recently uh, with the one, one of the groups of people that I work with very closely, our church's board of elders it 's a volunteer group that uh, plays a governance function, providing oversight to our entire ministry across our location, and the the six, seven, eight, depending on you know which year we 're in. The the group of volunteer elders uh, serve as the collective group that are essentially my boss, and so they have that uh, unfavorable responsibility of of dealing with me on a regular basis. But in the last couple of years, uh, we've had a, a very interesting and frankly a very challenging go because two of our elders have been navigating cancer diagnoses, uh, one with lymphoma and one with melanoma, and uh, for sure. Uh, As regular people like you and me, they've really wanted to be healed. And for sure, they've been trying everything that modern medicine will allow them to try. We've journeyed through immunotherapy treatments and chemotherapy and surgeries and all kinds of other stuff. Um, For sure, they have prayed and we have prayed for them. And for sure, we've wanted to access God's power to heal them of that just crippling, devastating disease. But in both of these cases, with both Rocco and with Joan, part of this team that I serve with, um, consistently throughout these years, no matter if they've been in a high place or low place, they've always remained chiefly concerned with what God is up to in the world. They've always remained primarily interested in the way that God is advancing his purposes in the way that he's building his kingdom. They've been interested in me, in my life, in our family, in the church, and how they can lend support. And they have prayed far more. You've got to know in these last number of years. They have prayed far more for the kingdom of God and for his purposes to advance among us as a church community and beyond us in Niagara and around the world. than they have begged God for healing for their cancer. And I have seen so many examples in the last number of years of God unleashing his power in the experience of their lives. Now, I can say today that both of them are in very physically healthy places. And we celebrate that as some degree of miraculous healing that God has provided thus far. But in addition to that, I've seen the power of God unleash in their lives in so many other ways. It's brought them closer to God and given them a more palpable sense of his presence and his love for them. It's brought them closer in relationship to those that they care about. It's sharpened their priority and their focus and and the things that they care about in life. It's given them an experience of his strength and comfort that has tr- transcended beyond their understanding. It's given them opportunity for conversation to affect other people and to have impact and legacy that they otherwise never would. And I would say in both of their cases that they've experienced more of God's power in the last number of years than they'd ever experienced in their life before, even as they faced the fear and anxiety of something so harsh as a cancer diagnosis. And so I share that not trying to be insensitive to all of the ways that you and I can feel powerless and desperately want to cry out to receive God's power in our lives. I don't want to be insensitive to that, but I want to appreciate that that it is possible to take a step back and to not worry about tomorrow primarily, but instead to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in and through your life and to watch God take care of the rest. In fact, I've been amazed. You know, Joan Hyatt has become known in our circles for praying this one prayer and throughout her whole journey with uh, cancer, it's never changed. She's always praying consistently, God, get us, make sure that we're in your will and out of your way. God, get us in your will and out of your way. In your will and out of your way. And that sounds an awful lot like that prayer of Jesus that says, take this cup of suffering from me, yet I want your will, not mine. That's how a powerful faith works in your life and in mine. So I'm wondering... In those ways where you feel most powerless. Where you want to cry out to God. For him to pour his supernatural transforming. You know sovereign all capacity power in your life. I wonder how you can orient your life. To allow God to be God and you to not be to a greater degree. How can you orient your life to a greater degree. Around advancing his purposes in the world. How can you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness to a greater degree. And how can you care more about the advancement of his purposes. Than the pouring out of power in the places that you feel powerless. Right? Can you get into his will and out of his way to a greater degree in those areas. I would wonder. You know there are some of us who are anxious today about uncertain futures and we've tried all kinds of different avenues and just haven't seemed to been able to open the doors that we would like to see opened. and we've been begging God to make our future clear and I'm wondering instead what a shift in perspective would do if instead we focused on investing the very best of the rest of our lives into what we know God is up to in the world and lent excuse me, lent our gifts and our passions and our talents and our time and energy to the things that God is up to in the world and allowed ourselves to become a greater part of the story God's telling so that he can tell a greater, clearer, more powerful story with our lives. Have you ever thought that maybe that might be the way to allow God to guide your future in the way that you've always hoped? There are some of us who are desperate to experience God's power in our financial situations. And I wonder, you know, with that shift in perspective, you know, what it would look like for us to try, first things first, to be more faithful and vigilant and diligent with the resources that God has entrusted to us. You know, being faithful to follow the biblical patterns that he's laid out for stewardship and generosity and giving to him and giving to others what he intends. There's actually a, a, a verse in the Old Testament in the book of Malachi, where God actually dares his people to take him up on that challenge. He dares them to be faithful to him. In fact, he calls it not robbing him of the portion of what he's entrusted to people that he's actually due. He calls it a tithe. And he dares them to give that back to him. And he says, trust me in this and see, you can read this in Malachi chapter 3. See if I won't open the windows of heaven for you. He dares people to trust him enough to obey him in that way to allow him to unleash power that they've never experienced before. Some of us are stuck in painful, dysfunctional ruts in relationships. And we've just been begging God to maneuver the circumstances differently or to change the other person. And I wonder what it would look like in getting more on board the purposes that God has in the world to take a look at what God might want to do in you. And instead of begging God to change everything around you, ask God what he might want to illuminate and change in you. And I wonder how fast he could unleash his restorative transforming power if you gave him the freedom and openness to start with you in those relational dynamics. I know that there are some of us who are ravaged by addictions and habits that we just can't break. And we're desperate for God's power outside of our own capacity. And I wonder if we could get to the place in understanding what God is up to in the world and how he wants to work where we could be honest, not just with him, but we could be honest in reaching out to other people and confessing that and inviting others in so that God can work through other people and surround us with the kind of external supports beyond ourselves that will give us what we, we would need to have what it takes to actually experience the freedom that God intends for us to experience. Are there ways that you and I can allow God to be God to a greater degree and can orient ourselves to his will and get out of his way no matter what it is that our hearts long for in experiencing more of his power by caring more about his purposes and the advancement of his kingdom in the world, trusting that his power unleashes for his purposes, that God resources for his reasons. Aside from preparing for this morning, I've been reflecting a lot on uh, this whole idea of the incredible power of God, uh, especially in these last number of weeks. Friday was the 1st of September. I know that that freaks all of us out who are afraid to get into back to school mode, but uh, September 1st is kind of a special day, especially this one. This September 1st uh, marked the 20-year anniversary of uh, myself and Mike Krause coming to work here. And uh, Friday night, Krista and Becky actually took us out for dinner. And it's kind of weird because our spouses were sort of allowing us to celebrate our anniversary. And they kind of watched and engaged with us. And we just had a real great time together. But if you don't know the history, you know, our, our church was founded in 1980 with a vision of doing church a little bit differently in a way that the founding family's kids would engage. And the idea or the intent was that you know through doing church a bit differently the kids of the founding families would grow up knowing and loving and wanting to serve Christ with their with their lives that was sort of the the founding motivation fast forward about 15 years into the mid 90s when our pastor was retiring and rather than look for another seasoned veteran the leadership of the church at that time was looking around and realizing that they were all in a stage of life where they were trying to basically do the same things they were trying to hand their family businesses over to the next generation they were trying to give the keys of their businesses over to their children and uh, so I understand the conversation went as they looked in their private lives and realized that that was option a for all of them they wondered whether that might be option A for them as a church. And so they began a formal process of doing just that, of handing the keys of this family business of the church over to the next generation, starting in the mid 90s with Chris Fowler, and then a couple of years later on September 1st, 1997, with Mike Krause and myself. And, uh, you know, as they say, I guess the rest is history, but I. I've really been in a reflective place lately, just kind of taking a step back and realizing among other things, and if if you can make Vision Day next Sunday for our fall, September launch and and kickoff, uh, we're going to talk about this a lot more next Sunday, and it's going to be a really, really fantastic uh, launch morning, so I hope that you'll bring friends and family and that you won't miss it, but we're going to talk about more of it next week. Suffice to say, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that there is no good reason Why a handful of 20 somethings with absolutely zero theological training at the time, no real formal leadership experience, you know, all unmarried, virtually no life experience should have ever been able to be part of what God has been able to do among us in these past two decades. And the amazing stuff that he's given us the opportunity to experience. In our own lives and through us in the lives of our community. And I've just, as I've been reflecting, I've been taking a step back. Just marveling at, you know, as it says in Romans 8.28. How incredibly faithful God is to work for the good of those who will trust and love him. According to his purpose. if, If you and I are willing to care about The one thing that God cares about on planet Earth. You know, the building of his church, the advancing of his kingdom, and the redeeming and restoring of fallen and broken people back into his image. I hope that you and I can have confidence that, you know, that same power that was, you know, universe creating and sea parting and wall crumbling and dead to life raising, water to wine turning, 5,000 feeding, you know, leper healing. All of that power is waiting to be unleashed in your life and mine and in ours together all the time consistently for favorable results If, if you and I will care about the purposes of God more than our own. And if you and I will allow God to be God instead of us and align our lives with his kingdom-building, eternity-altering plan for the world and get out of his way and into his will. In those areas in your life, when you are desperate to experience a greater degree of power, can you make those choices to experience a powerful faith in God In your life moving forward. Let's pray together. Well God I'm particularly thankful. Especially on a a morning like this. For the incredible. Consistent faithfulness. With which you dole out. Your extraordinary power. In very ordinary lives like mine. And like ours. I just want to praise you. And pause to reflect on that. And. And give you all the credit and glory. uh, For all the ways that you do that. God there are so many ways. That we are desperate to see your power. More realized in each of our lives. And even in our church together. I pray that as we beg you. For those. That we would understand. How your power gets unleashed. And that you would give us the spiritual eyes. To see how we can. Not just take a step back. But how we can orient ourselves. To your plan and purposes for the world. To a greater degree. What that can look like. Especially in those ways where we need your power and that we can make those changes that we can rejig those sails in our lives to get out of your way and into your will so that we can access your supernatural eternity, altering, transforming power to a greater degree. And I pray that as we do and as we experience your faithfulness to allow us to enjoy that power, I pray that we would be quicker and quicker to give you the credit and the glory for doing what only you can I pray that as a church community, we would testify to your awesome power, to our friends and family and those around us, that they could see how good and awesome you are. Thanks for your faithfulness to do that. We look forward to watching you work personally and together as a family in the days and weeks to come. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.